Uh, So let's read now from God's word. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Our next Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 20... Chapter 1, 26 through chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis 1, 26 through 2, verse 7. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the, li- over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and heavens. Now, No shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on earth, and there was no one one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the earth of the, sorry, and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. 
Our third passage comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 44b through 49. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 44. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heaven, heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the, the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peggy. Let's take a moment to pray as we uh, look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us, that you speak words of life and truth. Would you open our hearts Help us to see more of who you are and to grow more into who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, as Mel said, we're starting a new series today. It's a topical series. It's called God Is, We Are. The basic idea is that who we are, who you are, who I am, is fundamentally shaped by who God is. who, Who God is shapes who we are. And I realise that uh, at the outset that talking about identity is a, it can be a fraught topic. It's a contested and political uh, issue at the moment. Uh, for many, for lots of people, especially I, I think teenagers and young people, uh, but probably for lots of us, our identity is a very personal thing. It's an individual thing. Uh, it emerges from within ourselves, and often in a way that doesn't conform to the traditional expectations of our families, perhaps, or our teachers, or our community. And so we hear and we celebrate and we tell stories of people finding and expressing themselves in novel ways that challenge some of those traditional norms. There's a philosopher, Andrew Potter, who says that many of us subscribe to the idea that the self is an act of artistic creation. So we're like artists with a blank canvas, experimenting and creating an identity for ourselves uh, that's new and fresh, uh, that feels authentic and true to who we are. And this is liberating and often liberating to the point of being overwhelming. It's the, the tyranny of the blank page as we open up ever more choice, ever more options for our identity, we can actually feed the very problem we're trying to overcome. Right? If you have this constant array of different options, uh, so many choices actually feeds dissatisfaction with who we are. As soon as I settle on one identity, well, I start questioning it. Is the grass a bit greener somewhere else? Maybe there's something better out there. We actually prime ourselves for this kind of choice paralysis and dissatisfaction in who we are. I wonder if you feel this, that that sort of gnawing dissatisfaction or disappointment that you haven't truly discovered and expressed your true self yet. So that's where I think probably a number of us find ourselves today, but 
this is a very different situation from uh, how our grandparents might have understood themselves. And, and perhaps many of us, uh, if we've come from a more traditional culture, might understand identity. In more traditional cultures, the important thing about you, typically, uh, is more relational. Which family you belong to, your, your cultural background, your ethnicity. Maybe your occupation or your social status are important as well. These more external markers bring certain assumptions. They give you a stable sense of who you are. And they can also be stifling. Some people find them uh, restrictive, even oppressive. And sometimes they can lead us to feel like we need to maintain an image on the outside. But we might have rebellious hearts underneath. Our hearts might be far away. Sometimes even going to church can be like this, right? We're members of St. Jude's in Parkville. Uh, that's important, going to church. That's part of who we are. We serve each Sunday. And so we need to keep up appearances, don't we? We want to look like a good churchgoer and do what it says in the Bible. But underneath, our hearts could be far away. Focusing on externals can tend to breed hypocrisy. So identity is a, a fraught issue. Do we opt for that blank canvas of looking within and creating and expressing my own personal identity? Or do we hold on to some of those social markers of identity, like family and culture and religion, uh, which can, though, lead to that lack of authenticity and even hypocrisy? Uh, through this series, we're going to be seeing a different source for identity, a different way to answer this question, who am I? A, a, a different way that gives space for individuality without being a completely blank canvas. And that also gives us a community. It gives us some of those stable anchors without being stifling. Instead of grounding our identity uh, simply in uh, kind of who I feel myself to be or what my family or society says about me, the Bible has a gift for us. An identity that has deep roots in God himself. God gives us this gift. It's almost like he shares his identity with us. And this is true in the first instance for all humans. Whether you're a believer in God or not, God shares his identity with you. He creates all humanity, male and female, young and old, all people in his image. We bear the image of God. And so each week in this series, we're going to focus in on one aspect of who God is and then what that means for our identity. We're going to be looking at things like uh, God as Father, us as His children, uh, God as the Holy One, us being made holy, uh, God as Redeemer and us as rescued. Uh, today, though, as Mel mentioned, we're focusing on God as the Lord. God is Lord. Throughout the Bible, uh, we see this. God is the undisputed creator of everything. And so he is the rightful king over all that exists. God is the Lord, capital L. And so if God is the Lord, uh, who are we? What does that mean for who we are? Well, one, way that some, one answer to this that some ancient cultures gave is that 
Well, God is the Lord. We are servants, right? The God or gods are in charge. They're the bosses and we're the slaves. We're just here to do their will. Yeah? But that's not at heart what the Bible says. God doesn't create humans because he needs more staff. He doesn't create us because he got the inboxes piling up and he's got more work than he can do and he needs some, some minions. He does give us work. We see that in Genesis 1 and 2. But we're not fundamentally created as slaves. So if God is the Lord, who are we? Clearly we're not the Lord, right? We're not the kings and queens of the universe. We're not even rulers of our own destiny. Do you know where you're going to be in 12 months or what you'll be doing? Will you get that job? Will you pass that test? Will you marry or not? So many things are out of our control. Because we're not the king or queen. And this means that choosing our own identity, that kind of blank canvas idea, is a a bit of an illusion. Because we're so influenced and shaped by things around us that are beyond our control. And actually we're not simply free to choose our own path completely because there is a higher power. There is a, a Lord to whom we're accountable. We're not gods in our own right. So if we're not gods, we're not slaves, who are we? Genesis 1 says we're all images. We're images of the true king. We reflect the the true king almost like a mirror. We're not the true king ourselves, nor are we servants. We're more like deputies representing the true king. Uh, In the Lord of the Rings, the land of uh, Gondor, if you remember that, is governed not by a king, uh, but by a steward uh, called Denethor. He's not the king, but he administers the land while the king is absent. In a sense, he kind of represents the king, even though he's not the true king himself. And so as images of God, we're a little bit like this. We're like stewards. And if we're going to represent the true king, then what is this true king like? What sort of king are we reflecting? Genesis 1 gives us some clues. Uh, Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So firstly, clearly, God is the creator. He makes everything that exists. He makes matter. Uh, We've seen earlier in Genesis 1, he makes light, he makes energy, he makes people, he makes fish and animals and birds. Just consider for a moment the biodiversity of our planet. Uh, I don't know how many millions of species there are. I discovered this week that uh, I think we've catalogued over a million different species. Right, but estimates suggest there could be 8 million birds, animals, fish, insects, different plants, uh, bacteria, viruses. We're not even close to cataloguing all of God's uh, vast creativity, even on this planet, uh, let alone cataloguing all the stars and planets that are out there. God is creative beyond our imagination. So part of being in his image 
is having this gift of creativity too. We too are commissioned to to work the earth, to develop it, to farm, to build, to create, to develop. And we do this in our work, don't we, lots of us? We create and we build and we develop in God's world. I'm not talking just what we might think of as kind of creative professions, though certainly those are part of this. But even things like uh, building, uh, designing, obviously, writing, communicating, are all uh, creative acts. We're not to exploit or destroy or damage, but to co-create with the God who made us, to contribute to the beautiful diversity of life on this planet. God is a creator of all matter, so we too are creative. But God also creates not just matter, but purpose. Not just our form, but he gives us a goal and a purpose. He creates humanity, as we saw, to rule over all the animals and the fish and the birds. Our God doesn't just give us bodies and then kind of set us free, do what you want. He gives us purpose, and so he gives meaning to our lives. Uh, thinking about the contrast kind of helps us understand this, I think. If we lock God out of the picture, it's actually much more difficult to find ultimate meaning and purpose. You could live your life as a consumer without God, just pursuing and consuming whatever you think will make you happy. But sooner or later, consuming stops fulfilling. Pleasures start to wane and we realise that the best things in life can't be bought or sold. Or we can acknowledge that without God, there is no ultimate purpose or meaning. Some people take this path. Atheist thinker Sam Harris describes humans as biochemical puppets. So we're governed by interactions of atoms and chemicals in our brain. Free will is an illusion. Harris is essentially saying we're not in the image of God. We're in the image of science. We reflect the laws of nature. Other similar views might say that humans are in the image of a machine. We're not in the image of God, we're just glorified machines, a bunch of cogs and springs to do work. But I think you can see these views give very little scope for personal identity, for meaning, for purpose in the world. God gives us a different picture. We're not products of blind chance. We're created deliberately for a purpose. And this means that we're not the creators of our own destiny, but we do have a purpose and responsibility and agency to pursue it. So we have an origin created in the image of God, and we have a goal to rule under God over the rest of his creation. God is the creator, and he creates us with purpose. Thirdly, God blesses. Uh, This doesn't really fit my nice God is category. God is a blesser, right? He deliberately blesses things he made, he's made. Uh, He blesses humanity in verse 28 to be fruitful, to grow and pursue uh, the mission that he's crafted us for. He also blesses us by blessing the seventh day. Did you notice that at the start of chapter two? By resting on it, by making space for rest, in his creation. 
He establishes routines and rhythms and he sets apart time for rest. Because God knows that we're not like him. We're, we're limited. We're made of dust. We run out of energy. We can't just work and work and work. We're not created to be slaves after all. And so he builds rest into his creation. It's not just a concession to our frailty. We don't rest just because we get tired. We rest because we're not slaves. We rest because God gives generously and we can take a break without fearing for our lives. Now, this is hard in practice. I know that for me, when I'm really busy and have a lot to do, it's really difficult to take a break. And so I'll, I'll work on Friday, on my day off. I'll do, work late in the evenings because there are things that I just have to do. It's like I'm afraid that things are going to fall apart if I don't get them done, if I don't keep working. I hope you can see it's a very slippery slope from there to actually putting myself in God's place, isn't it? Thinking that I'm the one that everything depends on and therefore I can't rest. Heaven forbid that I rest. That's not true. I'm not God. I'm not the Lord. I'm only an image of God. And even He rested. So I too can rest. In fact, I should rest. It's a gift of God for us to enjoy. We're not slaves. And finally, we get the first hint in this passage that God is the judge. Because God is the creator, God is the king, he is the judge. He gets to decide what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. This might seem a little strange to us in a democracy where we're all equal and so we separate out the government, the rulers from the courts, right? But a family is a little bit different. In a family, we recognize that parents have far greater wisdom, sorry kids, and so they get to make the rules. And they get to be the judges of when the rules have been broken. So it is with God, right? He, he's the creator. He's kind of on a different level to us. So he gets to make the rules and he's the judge. And when he looks at all that he's made, he sees that it is very good. Right? This is kind of... God's act of, of judging. He says that's very good. There's his assessment. He pronounces his endorsement of all that exists. Fundamentally, this world is good. Created matter is good. Our purpose is good. What we're created to be is good. God is the one with all wisdom who gets to look at it and say, this is good. In fact, this is very good. And as God's images, we have this moral agency. We're, we're to discern what is uh, good and not good, right from wrong. Not kind of deciding it for ourselves independently from God, but seeking what God determines is good, to pursue it in all that we do. He gives us this agency to distinguish between right and wrong. Sadly, uh, though, we see so much in our world that God does not describe as good. We see God's good creation 
destroyed and spoiled. We see people treating each other like slaves, literally. Slavery is not dead. We also see people treating others like gods. Celebrities up on a pedestal, worshipped and adored. And we see the, the issues that that kind of pressure and scrutiny creates as well. And fundamentally, we see people alienated from the God who created us. And when we're alienated from God, we inevitably live out a false identity, a, a counterfeit, a disappointing fake. In Genesis 3, we see the tragic moment when this began. Uh, you might remember the story. The serpent says, eat this fruit and you'll be like God. That's the temptation. Be like God. But hang on, be like God? We're already like God. We're made in his image. How much more like God do you want to be? But Adam and Eve doubt God's blessing to them. They believe the lie that they're not like God enough. And they eat and tragically they become far less like God. Less honest and trustworthy. Less good, more fearful, more ashamed. It's like the, the mirror has cracked. They no longer reflect an accurate picture of God. They still reflect Him in parts. They still bear His image, but the picture is mixed up and confusing. And it's true for all of us. We're cut off from our source of identity. And so, of course, we're confused. Speaking to friends who've moved to Australia from other countries, and you might have had a similar experience, uh, one of the challenges uh, that I've heard is that their home country has left a really big impression on who they are, understandably. But now they're cut off from it, and to some extent, no one in Australia really gets that part of them. And so it can feel like you don't fit in. And actually, we're all a bit like that. We're created by God. He's left this indelible imprint on us. We're meant to reflect Him, but we've left Him. We've walked away. Now we're out of place and we've lost something fundamental about who we are. So we either try to fit in with those around us, we adopt those traditional markers of identity, family, culture, religion, at the expense of our individuality. Or we spread our wings and cast off those ties, try to create our own identity, often to the detriment of those relationships. If our friends don't meet our needs, we might deem them toxic and cut them off. And because our identity is DIY, it always feels a bit fragile and insecure. It's always up for grabs and never settled. Into the midst of this, God offers a better alternative. He offers us a new identity, which is really a renewed version of our original identity. He sends his son, he sends Jesus, the, the perfect image of God. Jesus perfectly reflects God's character and identity. He is God himself, in fact. And instead of using his godness to his own advantage, he lays it down for others. He humbles himself, he dies on the cross for us, and then he rises renewed and indestructible as we celebrated last Sunday. 
And 1 Corinthians 15 has this amazing line. Uh, I'll read from verse 47. It says, The first man, that's Adam in the garden, was of the dust of the earth, like we heard. The second man, that's Jesus, is of heaven. As was the earthly man, Adam, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. That's a beautiful destiny, isn't it? Just as we are like Adam, made of dust, worse than that, frailed and confused and unsure of ourselves, weak, heading towards death, then if we are believers in Jesus, if we give ourselves to him, we will become like him. We will one day bear his image fully. God gives us a new identity. Not only are we made in God's image in the past, but we are being renewed to be like Christ, the true image of God. It's this beautiful destiny. So we don't have a fixed and constrictive identity. Right, in that traditional sense, because actually we're growing. We're growing more like Jesus day by day. And so we still have that scope and creativity that God created us with. And bearing the image of Jesus is going to look different for you to how it looks for me. Right, God has created you a different person. You're going to reflect him and reflect Jesus in different ways to me, and that's wonderful. So we have this identity that we're growing into, but we're not cast adrift on a sea of endless identity options either. We're headed towards this goal. We're of heaven. We're growing to be like the heavenly human, like Jesus, on a journey with a clear start and a clear end. And so that means we can encourage one another along the way. We can get insights. We can walk alongside each other. Most of all, we can know that we walk with God. He knows us. He sees us. He's renewing us day by day. Because as God is, so we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you share your identity with us, that you make us in your image. And thank you that even when we've walked away from that, you renew us in Christ. Help us to grasp more fully who we are in you. And would that day by day be reflected in our lives more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.